Thank you, Miss Becca. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, I think y'all up this morning. It's 11.35. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Great to see everybody. Jackson's, Levi, the wifey, the Pfeiffers. So glad that you're here. Um, and I'm really excited to uh, share today what the Lord G3 has put in my heart for you. And before you zone out and think, oh, I've heard that message before. I've heard Kingdom Treasure before. Amen, God bless. What do we have for lunch? Stick with me. Give me 25 minutes. I'm praying that God would take this thing to the next level and you find yourself going higher up, further in. Today, the message, Tim, is called Authentic Kingdom Swagger. Everybody say Swagger. I did have to correct Miss Becca earlier. She said Swagger. She said children today. Mr. Jackson was thinking about Swagger. Everyone say Swagger. So, um, yeah, Authentic Kingdom Swagger. Allow me to define my terms. I think I see my man Chris in the back. Everybody say, what's up, Chris? My terms, Authentic Kingdom Swagger. Let me start in reverse. By Swagger, what I mean, Levi. When we speak of swagger as it pertains to a person, we're speaking of a person's style. Sometimes it's confidence, the way a brother rolled in and rolled out. Some of y'all came in with that swagger this morning, okay? You don't have to be black to have swagger. You don't. Everybody got their own type of swagger, okay? But in reference to a community, a group of people, swagger has to do with culture. Every place Every community, every group of people, every home, every restaurant, every church, any group of people you have, you find a particular, Alicia, culture. Are you following me? So in Highland, if this is your first time in Highland, be it the Great Eagle or if, you come to, or if you've never come to the Pillar, whatever the case may be, when you walk in through the doors, as a matter of fact, before you get to the doors, you're figuring out the culture that goes on here at Highland, you say, this church is a little bit different than what I've been accustomed to. The pastor speaking today was wearing shorts. Uh, the campus pastor at the Great Eagle Brother had a tattoo, okay? You said, man, the lead pastor, his son come back from the Ukraine with tattoos. You're, you're, you're kind of, you're figuring out the culture. Every place has a culture. Your family has a culture. When I was growing up, one of my homeboys in the neighborhood, he was Japanese. And at a Japanese home, if they do that thing with Japanese swagger or culture, before you walk in that house, you better take them shoes off, okay? Because his mama will hit you upside the head. My friend will, anyway. His, his mom. Okay, so when I'm speaking of culture, or swagger, I'm speaking of culture, it pertains to the kingdom. Number two, everybody look to you and say, kingdom. Y'all are asleep. Y'all help me out. I said, kingdom. Talk to me. Authentic kingdom swagger. When I say kingdom, we're about to do this thing, but Jonathan, when I say kingdom, I'm speaking bigger than church, Kevin. I'm speaking bigger than than Highland Christian in Asheville. I'm speaking bigger than uh, First Baptist Church in Asheville. I'm speaking universal, worldwide, South Carolina, South Africa, South Korea, North Carolina, California. All expressions of Christian community should embody certain values or culture, be it black church, White church, and we know the Bible doesn't even use terms like that. We call it Christ church. Anybody know what I'm saying? That's why you say amen. All right. So today, I want to talk about 
kingdom culture, and the last term I want to define is authentic kingdom culture. And by authentic, what I mean, Tim and Caroline, I know you're tracking, is the real thing. The real article. Authentic. There's a culture that is true to what Jesus Christ embodied in his life and his ministry that is the real thing over and opposed and contrasted to something that mimics it, but is not the real thing. So today, I want to talk about four values that should permeate the way those of us who call Christ king. You call Jesus Christ your king, your savior. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. There should be at least these four things showing up in your life and also in the community that we that we find ourselves when we call ourselves home. And we're reaching for these things at Highland as a community. And I'm asking you to consider reaching for these things in your own life. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Well, we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your copy of God's Holy Word, I'm asking you to go ahead and pull that thing out. If you don't, we have, uh, we'll have screens on. I do want to encourage you to make it a point when you have the opportunity to get with the Lord's people, like today on a Sunday morning, or small groups on Wednesdays, whatever you want to call it, Make sure you bring your copy of God's Word, Jonathan. I could be up here telling you a fairy tale, okay? And you need the truth, okay? I said it's truth. Melissa, there you go. And I want you to know we want to get to the point where God's people are self-feeders. Are you hearing me? Y'all help me out. You give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed them for a, a lifetime. So the idea, when you come on a Sunday morning, the idea is to help you not only feast from the word that the Lord has given the pastor for that morning, but that you would also have the ability to go back to the crib, crack that holy word open, and feed yourself. Are you hearing me with me say, yes, sir? All right. Well, Matthew chapter 13, we're going in, and we're going to start, excuse me, Matthew chapter 11. When we get to chapter 13 in just a moment. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 12. Now, let me give you a little bit of context before we jump on that. And we're about to jump in where Jesus Christ has just sent a message to his first cousin, John the Baptizer. All right. And I said Baptizer, but most people believe that John was Southern Baptist. Okay? But John wasn't Southern Baptist, I don't think. It's possible. But he was probably something like charismatic Presbyterian, something like that. One of those combinations. Okay? So John the Baptizer had at this point already been revealed from God the Father that Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah, my very own cousin. My very own cousin is the Savior of the world. And at one point, we see that John, when speaking to his disciples, Jesus Christ walking in, John looks to Jesus and says, my goodness, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's him, my cousin. At one point we see John baptized Jesus into the river. It says when Christ came out of the water, the heavens opened like a scroll. The voice of the Father speaks. The Holy Spirit descends on Christ like a dove would. And it says, behold. My very own beloved son, listen to him. All that had happened in John, the life of John the Baptist. He remembered 
But he found himself in prison, hard times. Finds himself in prison, and he sends word to his cousin. Is it true? Were you indeed the one who we've been waiting for? And so the disciples come back to Jesus. John's students come back to Jesus, and they ask him the question. They say, man, no disrespect, but John sent us to ask you if indeed. I know, I know. We, we saw what happened at the baptism. I know, I know. We remember when he declared you're the son of God and take away the love of God, take away the sins of the world. But he just wanted to know, are you truly the one? Was the brother having hard times? And Jesus says, it's almost as if you can see him shaking his head. I get it. I get it. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves in a position where we expect God to do one thing and he does another. And we begin, begin to question. And Jesus said, I ain't mad at you. I'm not mad at him. But just let him know the blind, they see let them know the lepers I touched and they've been cleansed. Let them know that the lame, those in, in, in wheelchairs and, and on canes, they've been touched and they've been made whole. And best of all, the good news has been preached to the poor. I get it. Blessed are those who don't stumble over me. And as they're on their way, he goes on to say some things about John the Baptizer, that he's the greatest man ever to be born of a woman outside of Christ himself. He says, but the least in the kingdom, everybody say kingdom. The least in the kingdom is actually greater than John. And he picks up here, let me explain. If you will follow with me in verse 20, excuse me, chapter 11, my page is flipping because it is fame, fame. Chapter 11, verse 12, he says this to his disciples. You see, from the days of John, the Baptist, the baptizer, until now, the kingdom, everybody say kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. Now that's kind of strange talk. There are lots of commentaries on the scripture. Some have even espoused to, to say, that Christ was teaching that his disciples should take over by force a rebellion. If you guys want to see the kingdom of heaven on earth, you got to take over and you got to force your way in. But I agree with my man Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Anybody familiar with Charles Spurgeon? He's a great thinker, pastor, and author in the 1800s. And Spurgeon's understanding of this scripture, I think, makes a lot of sense. And in a message in 1865 by, called, that he called holy violence. If I say holy violence. Come on now, holy violence. Come on now. Holy violence. Spurgeon goes on and articulates his perspective on the scripture. And what he says is this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, sometimes called the kingdom of God, Rightly understood, you can call it the kingdom of the God of heaven. It's like this. That when those who find the kingdom and seek the kingdom, find the kingdom, there births in them this holy violence where those in the kingdom find themselves stumbling over one another just to get in. Who's ever seen World War Z? It's a new movie. Anybody? Y'all watch movies around here? It's okay. It's okay. All right. 
I hope you're going to see it. It'll come out on DVD in just a little while, I'm sure. But in World War Z, there's this scene. I won't run, run it for you, but there's a scene. Essentially, what's going on in the movie is there's this virus going going throughout the world, and when people get this virus, they get to acting like zombies, and like, you know, looking looking crazy. Okay, and what they the soul, the primary, the only drive in that person who's been infected with this with this virus is to go and infect other people with the violence. And so these zombies with great passion and energy and violence, what they do is at all costs, even to the to harm uh, to, to the harm of themselves, they go and they're trying at all costs, Jonathan, to infect others to get that to get that virus to become a zombie. And there's this scene in the movie where Israel happens to be the one, one of the only last places in the movie where the virus has not penetrated because they've built this huge wall in Israel. So they're allowing people who have not been infected to come in. And while they're on the inside of this wall in Israel, 35, 40 foot wall in Israel, they're celebrating and eating and, and singing and laughing. And what they don't know is unbeknownst to them outside. The zombies are on the outside crawling over each other to, to climb this wall in order to get in to infect those who don't have the virus. All right. Well, Spurgeon says that the kingdom is just like that. That when we genuinely find ourselves infected with this love for the king, we find ourselves with almost violence seeking others to love them into the kingdom as well. Are you, are you following me? And Jesus is saying here, the kingdom is just like that. You know how you guys have come out to see John preach? John is crazy. We know he ate locusts. That was just as crazy then as it is now. He ate grasshoppers. Okay? It was crazy to them. But people will come out from the woodworks to hear this guy preach about the kingdom. Are you hearing me? They come out to the desert. No padded pews. No KFC on the way home from church. But people are hungry for this thing that John was proclaiming. Are you hearing me? The same with Jesus Christ. He says, until the days of John, even until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And those who are violent take it by force. He says, man, if you look at me, I'm a bivocational rabbi, he says. I'm a carpenter, got calluses on my hand. I don't have a whole lot of man, manly accolades. But you just look around. And people were coming out the woodworks to get what was on the inside of Jesus Christ. They're saying, man, finally, how do we get that? What does that look like? How can I access that? And Jesus goes on to say that the kingdom is just like that. So today, we're talking about authentic kingdom swagger. The first thing I want to unpack for you is something that I call kingdom treasure. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right. Look to your neighbor and say kingdom treasure. Amen. So I want you to flip the page. I want you just to turn over to Matthew 13. And Jesus shares a parable. And he explains that the kingdom of the God of heaven is like this. He says there's a guy walking through a field and he discovers that there is a treasure that's been hidden. Everybody say hidden. Treasure that's been hidden. And over joy for the treasure, he goes and sells most of what he has. I'm sorry, I must have misread that. What did he say? Oh, I'm sorry. He goes and sells... A whole lot of what he had with. What did he say? 
Oh, he goes and sells all of what he has, Jonathan, in order to purchase that field in order to get the treasure. If you're with me, say amen. amen. I want you to know there are three implications for the scripture. And the first one is that from heaven's perspective, Alicia, you are, Angie, the treasure. God himself has so loved you, Georgie, that he has given up all his rights and privileges. The message of the gospel is absolutely crazy that God would love people, dirt and clay, and would leave the paradise of heaven, send forth, Galatians 4, 4, and in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born under the law, born by a woman, that he would come forth, leave the lavish paradise of heaven. He would lay down his rights and privileges as God himself. He would give it all to purchase you. Are you hearing me? I don't think you heard me. To purchase you. And that's over and against what we know as religion. I have good friends who are Muslims and it is so hard for them to fathom that Allah would actually choose to himself wrap himself in a body and what they say defecate you tell me God had a body and he did things like use the bathroom just so he could buy you that's foolish nowhere in the Quran will you find the term heavenly father why the greatest title that you can call God is master in Islam and I'm not here just to pick on Muslims I'm not here to pick on Muslims we love Muslims, they're brothers and sisters of humanity. However, the gospel kingdom tells us that God so loved the world that he gave himself, his only begotten son, in order to access the treasure that's in you. That should get you excited. It should make you say hallelujah, right? First implication, Kim, you are the treasure. That's the gospel. You are the treasure. Christ laid it down so he could buy you back. Pay for your sins so you can enjoy eternal fellowship with him. Number two, that's right. Number two, I want you to get out of this kingdom treasure. Everybody say kingdom treasure. Number two, I want you to get that Jesus Christ is the treasure. Christ is the treasure. In order to access the treasure, what did the man have to do in the parable? Y'all help me out. Y'all help me out. Had to sell everything that he had. But unfortunately, I think in the minds of American Christianity, I think we forget the fact that in order to get the treasure, we've got to sell everything that we have. We're only looking for a Christianity that's comfortable. I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know it. I know a whole lot of people that, even in our own community, I'm probably not going to make it to church today. There's a service at 9 and 11. My service is at 10. Nah, it's not convenient. I don't want to step on any toes too hard. But fam, if we believe Christ is the treasure, we'll make time to go to church with God's people. Are you hearing me? I'm preaching better than y'all y'all shouting here. Alright? We will make time for the kingdom. We'll make time for the king. All is raining. I got things to do. I got to go to the store. I'm telling you, when Christ is the king, and when rightly understood, we'll make time for the king. We'll make time for him. Rightly understood. So I want to encourage you. If Christ is your king, you should be pursuing him in light of the fact that he is the treasure. Can I get a witness? Amen. The third implication 
I want to hit you with is in the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom, be it Asheville or otherwise, the culture of the kingdom tells me I treat people in light of the fact that there's treasure in them. But check this out. Every person, Kenny, every person in this room has a field and a treasure. And God has a way of hiding treasure, valuable things, invaluable things, hiding it behind a field. Are you hearing me? So it's no surprise that sometimes we get caught up and we forget that a person's been made in God's image and that God loves them. But bad attitudes can, can hurt, right? Bad attitudes, the in-laws, you know, your husband tripping, okay, your wife tripping, always nagging you. We got to get back to the basics and remember, man, that in the kingdom, I know that every person has treasure and a field. Everybody say, and a field. And I'm willing to deal with the dirt in order to get to the treasure. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You follow me? Say amen. amen. Now, I want to be transparent with you for just a moment. Can I be transparent? Yes. As a bivocational pastor, as a lot of you probably know, I'm privileged to run a nonprofit foundation called the I Have a Dream Foundation. I'm the executive director. It takes a lot of time and energy and love and blood and sweat and tears. And I'm also privileged to serve as an associate pastor here at Highland and under-shepherd to what God is doing here. And as you, as you can imagine, that takes a whole lot of time. And not so much just time, Jonathan, but bandwidth. Okay, what I mean by bandwidth is, is, is my mind, okay? Sometimes I've got to re be reminded myself, your boy, Jazzy, I've got to be reminded that the first treasure God has called me to is not ministry. The first treasure God has called me to is to Maggie. It's to my wife and husbands, wives. Sometimes we allow even the kingdom itself to cause us to neglect the treasure that's sitting at home. Are you hearing me? But if we keep the kingdom culture, the kingdom swagger in mind, what we'll do is we'll gladly receive the love and the encouragement, the challenge of those that God has put in our life. And say, Jazz, hey, I need you to make sure you're prioritizing. Okay. Hey, you knocked it out of the park when you spoke at UNCA or Jonathan, you knocked it out of the park when you, uh, you're starting, a, starting his, his own horticulture um, business cutting grass and, and doing it big. Businessman right here. You're doing it You're doing it big, but don't forget Whitney. That's the first treasure. And Whitney along the way, I'm preaching. Woo! I'm preaching. Whitney along the way, don't forget. I know his eyes, they kind of wander because he, he's a kingdom man. He's, he's, he's trying to build a kingdom. Don't forget. There's treasure in there. You see in the dirt, you see in the field, there's treasure. Let's love one another in light of the treasure that we've been given. That's when you say Amen. Number one, kingdom treasure. If I say kingdom treasure. Number two, we're going to spend some time talking about kingdom perspective. Can you say perspective? Perspective. And I want to start off by telling you, um, who's ever heard of Michael Jr.? He's a Christian comedian. Anybody ever heard of Michael Jr.? Okay. YouTube, YouTube him when you get a chance. He tells a story. Michael Jr., you don't understand why I'm sharing this in just a moment. Happens to be a large African-American man. And Michael Jr. tells a story of uh, he had a he had a show in a, in a large city, and he found himself kind of running late. And he looks at his watch, he realizes he got to get there in just a few minutes, so he parks a couple blocks away. And as he parks a couple blocks away, he gets out, whoop, whoop, 
locks the car, and it's kind of chilly. So he finds himself jogging on his way to the show, okay? And as he's jogging on the way to the show, there's a woman that comes out about a block ahead of him who's just on a, on a late night jog, right? So she comes out about a block ahead of him, this little white lady, okay? So she's jogging. <laughs> he's jogging, and she looks over her shoulder and sees Michael Jr. So she starts jogging with him. Michael Jr. looks over his shoulder and he says, there must be something behind us. <laughs> so he starts jogging a little bit faster. And before you know it, the woman looks back over his shoulder again, and now she's in an all-out sprint. Michael Jr. saying, man, whatever scared this little white lady is scaring me too. So he's sprinting too. Finally, he gets to his venue. He says, oh God, help this poor white lady. I hope that don't, whoever that is back there will get her. And he yells at her, is that as fast as you can run? <laughs> Suffice it to say, it's very important that we keep perspective in mind. Who's been to Bell Share this year or any other year? Anybody? We got some very zealous um, people at Bell Share who are zealous about this book we call the Bible. But unfortunately, many of them need some encouragement as it pertains to kingdom perspective. Let me read a little something to you. Jesus, he put it this way. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way. Everybody say, in such a way. In such a way that they may see your good works, but promise never to come to your church. He didn't say that. They will see your good works, desiring to see people come to know Christ the Savior downtown at Belshire. That's good, right? That part is good. But they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul put it this way to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And Paul said this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, the Lord's bondservant, the Lord's servant, if you're going to do anything for the kingdom, check this out. You must not be quarrelsome, but you need to be kind. Everybody say kind. Kind to all. Able to teach. And patient when wrong. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And Paul, as well as Barnabas, in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, who's ever at the computer back there going in the bathroom or something, so it's not on the screen. But actually, that's why you got to bring your copy right there. You might not be on the screen, okay? Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says that Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way that many believed. Everybody say kingdom perspective. So we got to remember that if we're going to have the kingdom swagger that Christ had, we're going to have the kingdom swagger that John the Baptist and the apostles had. People dying to get what was in them and on them. We got to remember kingdom treasure. We got to remain remember kingdom perspective. And number three, I want you to get is something I call kingdom contribution. Everybody say contribution. All right, say it again. Kingdom contribution. Talk to me. Contribution. This little preaching and a little teaching. I want y'all to get this. All right. Kingdom contribution. And what I what I mean by that is this: to be a part of any community. Man, I'm going to step on somebody's toe here, but y'all bear with me. To be a part of any community, basketball team, family, church, employee, everyone must contribute. Are you hearing me? G-Dub, 
Also known as George Pfeiffer. Y'all know I got nicknames for everybody. George Pfeiffer, brother, I love, I love this dude. This dude, he's stacking bread. He making paper, all right? He's rich, okay? He, I've never heard him talk about requiring his kids to pay bills, right? Never done it. But when I'm over in his house, which is pretty often, after we get done having dinner, he don't just expect Megan or Georgie or Carly to pay bills or pay for food. But what does he tell them? We got done eating. I need y'all to go in there and wash those dishes. Contribution. Maggie and I, we, we fostered for eight months. It was awesome. I loved, I loved getting to be um, a full-fledged foster dad. I loved it. And Kim, I never once, not even once, required one of my foster kids, we had six of them, to pay bills. Not once. But they weren't going to contribute. Everybody say contribute. So in the kingdom, this is where I'm about to step on toe. Y'all be mad at me, all right? Pastor Sandra told me to say this, just kidding. All right? <laughs> In the key, matter of fact, this is hard, especially for a lead pastor, because a lead pastor knows. And what could we be in this city if, if the, those who are in the kingdom got serious about kingdom contribution? Well, what would happen in this church if people went from being casual to their giving? You got two dollars. Uh, I'm a teenager. I don't really have much money. So what we we said seriously and consistently. I'm going to contribute on a consistent basis. Teenagers, if you don't have a job, find a way to serve in the church. If you do have a job, teenagers, moms, dads, grandparents, whoever you might be, if you do have a job and you're bringing in a little bit of paper, it should be a part of your lifestyle to contribute to the kingdom. That's why we pass baskets. And I'm not here to preach at you, but I'm talking with you. Anybody with me say amen. amen. I don't know if this is working today, all right? Say amen. amen. All right. So check it out. 1 Corinthians 15 45, speaking of Jesus, it says, So also it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The scripture goes on to say, in the gospel, Christ came, he said, man, I've come not to be served, but what? To serve. So Christ, our king, is our example, comes on the scene and says, man, I showed up to give something. That should be our mentality in the kingdom. We're going to see God's kingdom being built, man, I come to show up to give, not just what I can take. It's going to cost you something. You feel me? And I'm going to do that because I love the king. I want to see other people know the king. And experience the king and spread his jurisdiction in this city where people say successful of sin. And I say, man, that means the fields are white and ready for harvest. Amen. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers, for the workers are few. Let's contribute and see the kingdom be built. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. And the last value that I want to talk about today as it pertains to kingdom swagger. We'll see y'all walking out of here with a little pep in your step, Tim. You know what I mean? Got that kingdom swagger. Oh. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, Jonathan, is something that I call kingdom love language. Now, who in here is married? Married. You know, you, you silly. You tired tonight. All right? All right? Now, who in here wants to be married? Go ahead and raise it up. Yeah, you want to be married. All right, there you go. Be proud of that. You want to be married. All 
right? I ain't mad at you. You wake up and you check that Facebook, okay? Uh -huh. I got a message. Oh, man. That's right. Hey, I ain't mad at you. Some of my good friends have found real love on eHarmony.com. I ain't mad at you. Hey, do your thing. All right? But check this out. When we do premarital counseling, I'm through the church, be it one of the pastors, elders, or uh, Mary Worthy, our licensed um, marriage and family therapist, we talk about this concept called love languages. Um, and it comes from a book that essentially articulates the fact that as human beings, we essentially give love and receive love in five main ways, five dominant ways. And these five ways that, that we give love and receive love um, they are as follows. Quality time. Everybody, everybody say quality time. Quality time. Words of affirmation. Speaking words. I love it when Pastor Shannon hollers at your boy. He tells me, Jazz, you did a, you did a good job. I'm proud of you. That speak that brings life because my love language is words of affirmation. All right. Number three, acts of service. Doing things, serving people. All right. Number four, gifts. And number five, physical touch. Now, fellas, most of us, we own that physical touch piece, right? Okay, all right, I get it. But essentially, we speak and we give love in five, five general ways, and we receive love, and usually they're the same, but sometimes they're a little bit different, sometimes they change, okay? And I know as a husband, my wife's heart is a moving target, so I can't be stationary. I gotta, I gotta stay on my game, okay? Now, check this out. We love and we receive love with one another in five, five main ways. But I want you to know that the Bible, Angie, tells us that God himself, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and earth, God himself has a love language. And the love language is something that the Bible calls obedience. Are you hearing me? And Jesus, he put it this way. He said, fam, if you love me, if you love your boy, I know y'all love kicking it with your boy, but if you love me, don't just show up and do the routine, dot your I's, cross your T's, but fam, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey me, you'll keep my commandments, you'll honor me in every area of your life. And how many know that when we forget that kingdom love language, it can mess your life up? It can mess your life up. When we talk about here at Highland, we don't want to beat anybody up, but when we talk about sexual purity, we're not trying to beat anybody up or shame anybody. Because one way or another, we've all failed. Maggie and I, we happen to have been, we were virgins when we got married at 23 years old. But I'm here to tell you, although I had physically had sexual intimacy with a woman before I married Maggie, Jesus said, man, my standard is so high, if you don't honor me in your mind, then you're sinning against me. So we've all failed. I'm not here to, to, to beat anybody down. What I am trying to say is that if we love Christ, we're gonna, we're gonna honor him in every area of our life. And when we get off from that, when we stop speaking God's love language, it ends up damaging our own life. Are you hearing me? So God loves us so much that he expects obedience because he loves us. And I'm, not, I'm speaking sexually, I'm speaking in every area of your life. God is giving you a job. He's, he's telling you a career, a job. You go hard at that with all of your heart, Colossians 3.23.
that in everything that you do, do it with all your heart, not as unto men, but as unto God. For the kingdom love language, and we're going to build the kingdom. We're going to walk out this kingdom swagger. We're going to love God with all of our heart obediently because we love him. We want to see his kingdom being built. In closing, the band is going to come on up. In closing, I want to share uh, a little something that I read in a book I was just given um, called Kingdom Man. It's by a uh, pastor by the name of uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And in the book, Kingdom Man, Tony Evans tells the story of his son who now plays in the NFL. He says when his son was still growing, only five foot three at the time, his son comes to Tony Evans after church service. He says, uh, Dad, I want you to come down to the gym. I want to show you a little something, something. So his dad says, all right, cool. So they go to the rec center. And his son goes, picks up a basketball, dribbles a couple times, and Tomahawk slams that thing like Kevin Durant, like LeBron James. I hope you're not a San Antonio Spurs fan. All right, LeBron James on them, okay? And Tony Evans says, he patted his son on the back and said, son, that's good, but you just dunked on an eight-foot goal. <laughs> so what I want you to do is keep practicing and raise it up to 10-foot, and then we'll talk. What's happening in, in our world in our community, in our churches, is that we've lowered the goal. And that we congratulate ourselves for, for doing a good job at work, for taking care of my kids, for doing a good job at some of these things, but ultimately we're dunking on eight foot goals. And Christ is calling us today to raise the bar. And he's saying today, I need kingdom men and kingdom women who seek my kingdom first. Everybody say first. first. Who put my kingdom first. See, first the kingdom. And kingdom men and kingdom women who seek the kingdom first, they expand the kingdom in such a way that people with a holy violence find themselves saying, I need it. I want it. I find myself loving your king and I don't even know if I know this dude yet. Can you give me what you've got? And so my message to you today is allow God to call you higher up and further in. But you would walk out that swagger by growing in your kingdom treasure, growing in your kingdom perspective, growing in your kingdom contribution, and growing in your kingdom love language. God is calling kingdom men and women today. If you love them, say amen. Let me read us a prayer, and uh, Miles is going to close us out in worship. Heavenly Father, we want to give you praise, honor, glory. The dominion belongs to you. You're awesome. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you've given us to come today and to receive from your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. You have revealed your heart. That Christ, you are the perfect demonstration of the heart of the Father. And so Holy Spirit, we're asking today that you would take these words, take this message that has been proclaimed and I'm asking God in the name of Jesus that you would build in us kingdom men and kingdom women, kingdom young men, kingdom young women who seek first the kingdom, who want to walk this thing out like Christ, like you walked it out. You desire to walk it out through us. I'm asking that marriages will be transformed that this community 
will be transformed, that this city will be changed for the glory of God. And Lord, you are already doing these things in this church and in other churches in this city. Lord, we're asking that you would, by your spirit, give us the courage and the grace to step it up, step our games up for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your name's sake. And all of God's people said, Amen.